Yes, yes, yes. And welcome back. You are locked into another episode of Meg Talks, the people's platform home to queer, black, millennial conversation. And for this episode, I am joined by the free-spirited, horticulture expert and spiritual healer, my lifelong friend, G. G. Yes, Meg. What are you saying, man? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here, feeling blessed. Mm-hmm. Happy to get into this conversation. It has been long in the pipeline. It has been so long in the pipeline. Like from the moment that I felt like I wanted to even maybe begin a podcast, maybe a YouTube channel, there were so many options. I thought to myself, at some point, we've got to have a conversation or we've got to do something, man. So I'm, I'm honoured, really, really honoured that you'd come by. Yeah, when you brought it up, I it resonated on so many levels and I was just like, yes, this is, this is something I want to get involved with. Yeah. Before we kind of jump into the main topic conversation, which is around friendship, community, identity, um, and I'm sure this conversation is going to expand far beyond that, but let's get the people familiar with you. So I'm going to fire away some quick questions today. For this one, there's going to be some pace on it, yeah? Okay. Okay, cool. What are your preferred pronouns? They and them. What are your dating preferences? This one's changing. Okay. This one's changing. I would have said poly... But now I would say monogamous. Okay, okay. What part of London are you from? Southeast. And where did you grow up? Southeast. Hey. <laughs> Do you prefer soy or tofu? Tofu. Would you prefer to camp on a beach or go to a music festival? Camp on a beach. Would you prefer free food for life or free flights for life? If you could see the look of bewilderment, I got you. (laughs) I got you. I'm going to have to say the free flights. Ditto. I'll be picking free flights. It's close though. Mm -hmm. My Taurus moon, I love food. Imagine like anything as well. You could just pick, anyway. (laughs) Beach or mountains? Beach or mountains? Yeah. Mm, Can we have a beach with mountains? No. (laughs) It's the beach. It's the beach. Or sea or land? Sea. Boat or plane? Sick. We've we've gone through them pretty quick, man. You got some speed on you. You got some, but what 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 one got you? I think it was the food or the flight. Yeah, it's close. So you you know what? Talking about boats and planes, I'm starting to feel a bit of a strain of not being able to travel. I hear you. Because I feel that I've kind of been sailing through lockdown because I I haven't thought about when it's going to end. I've just accepted that this is what it is for now and kind of just try to align myself with what's happening now and why we're here now. But I need a vacation, man. I desperately need... If What would be your next travel destination? I feel like I was just thinking of this this morning. Yeah. Mexico. Viva la Mexico! Mexico, purely because they're one of the few countries that still let us in. <laughs> the borders are still open, so... Are people allowed to fly out of the UK still? I think at the minute, no. Uh, unless there's, unless you fit a certain requirement. Okay, okay. So like, for example, perhaps if there was like an emergency or urgent reason for you to leave the country, then perhaps, but because I just think they need to close the borders. Yeah, there's medical treatment and essential workers. Uh, oh, okay. Makes sense, makes sense, mm-hmm. makes sense. So this week, this week in the media, in the news, in the culture, has there been anything that's kind of grabbed your eye? Okay, so I don't have a telly and I don't follow the news. Yes. My mum tells me what's happening. (laughs) My mum is the BBC for me. But I've been following community news, community projects, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of gardening projects happening right here in London, even in the winter through lockdown that are really inspiring me at the minute. Mm. And what are like these, what are these projects, these community projects about? Like what, what kind of initiatives and what are the objectives of why they're happening? Okay, so one in particular, Crops Not Shops. It's a community project that aims to empower people to grow their own foods rather than buy them in the shops and they're planting trees and creating community spaces where people can learn and share and connect, which is really important at these times. 
Is it like you do it by yourself and you learn how to do it at home or you go to like a communal space where you can, I suppose, in a socially safe way, kind of do this kind of planting and stuff together? Yeah, so there's there's distance plantings and and community growings and sharings at the moment. So it is it is in person. So that if people wanted to find out about getting involved or just, I guess, even finding some of these, these projects, how would they go about doing that? Okay, so for me... I'm on Facebook and there are quite a lot of community gardening projects. So there's Outdoor POC, there's BAME POC in nature. Uh And a lot of these groups can be found here on this platform. Understandably, many of them are trying to move away from the Facebook platform for social and ethical reasons. But for the time being, that for me, that does seem to be a place where a lot of these communities are are gathering and meeting and and doing some some really good sharings. It's nice to hear about these kind of home grow or grow yourself type projects that are happening, especially for the the ethnic minority community. Because back home, this is how we lived life. You know, we very much lived had house, you had land. You'd grow your things them. Your neighbours might grow their things them and you share them. And there's this kind of whole community essence to food. And the element of food, you know, starts way beyond you going to a shop or going to a supermarket to go get that stuff. There's that whole rearing process. I think it's lovely to just hear that there are these groups for the community and for our people that really take us back to who we essentially say are and who we've been for generations and generations. Exactly, mm. exactly. The food food is so key to community and it is such an important part of being human that for many of us, through no fault of our own, has been removed from us, one step removed. And so it is, it's really lovely to get back to that, to get back to the earth, to get back to that connection with our food, to know exactly exactly what we're putting into our bodies and mm. where it's coming from and that it's fair and ethical and and healthy especially at a time like now when we're needing mm-hmm. to lock and load up and really build our immune systems to give our bodies a fighting chance to fight off any kind of bugs that are lurking around around here do you know what i mean and i think it's so it's quite easy mm-hmm. to maybe go for something that will make you i suppose make you feel good from maybe a sugar high or if it tastes yummy, just because you're in the house and you need something to kind of switch it up, mm-hmm. but really trying to find those yummy solutions from foods that are maybe, I guess, more nutritious, mm-hmm. more nutritious. Because I know I've struggled. I have struggled. Like, what if you have one guilty pleasure, what would you say is? Crisps. Mm, snap. <laughs> <laughs> now I found the uh, kettle. They've brought out a cheese and onion. What's that? So cheese is is a vegan alternative to cheese. Uh-huh. It's a dairy free cheese. It's so good. Yeah, yeah. It, it tastes like cheese and onion crisps. I am a big fan of you know like the apple cider vinegar and salt. Those kind of crisps like mm-hmm. uh, that apple that bo- is it bo- apple cider vinegar crisps. Yeah, those ones bang. And to be fair, kettles aren't doing too badly as well. They they're, <laughs> they're front runners. <laughs> but it took me. Because I have, I've been trying not to consume too much social. Like, like you said earlier, like I don't really watch the news, and I haven't watched the news for years. I, I, I don't feel like it's good for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not too sure that it's good for other people. Just in the way that how they portray the world, there's mm-hmm. far more things happening in the world that are that are positive, mm-hmm. and I think they'll be more beneficial for people to hear about. But we don't hear about that, so I, I don't really enjoy that, and it doesn't leave me feeling good at the end of that so the news is a wrap and with Instagram and stuff I've really been trying to be intentional about going onto Instagram I'm going on there for a purpose so even if that purpose is okay cool I'm just going to scroll for maybe half an hour okay go with intention rather than maybe patterns of behavior you know but anyway so it took me it was hard for me to kind of find something that what's going on in the news but something that did stand out for me in social well was that I'm going to read it out So the Harvard Law class of 2021 is one of the largest black student classes in Harvard's law school history. (laughs) That makes me smile so hard. 
hearing that because America's had a tough year mm-hmm. the past. How long has a president in um, office for like four years? No, I feel like it's longer. I get confused between the UK and America. Mm. I want to say seven years. Jesus Christ. Mm. So long. They've had a rough time. They've had a rough time. And to see some of these, these young black talents still emerging and imagine what these youngsters were going through. Mm. We're trying to do this, trying to apply for, for university and all that. I can't imagine. Yeah, it's really, really inspiring and encouraging to hear this. Mm. And these are the kinds of things that aren't shown in mainstream media. And so, yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly that it is so important to be selective about what we take in, not only food-wise, but mm. content-wise and and the vibration of these things and, and the intention, the intention. I was having this conversation Instagram live a couple of days ago. So at eight o'clock, my girl Raquel Strong, you might remember Raquel, she went to our school and she's now a dig- digital marketing expert and she's she's flying. Like she Raquel's coming on the show, guys. Don't worry. Like I'm that energy has to come and bless this podcast, I tell you. And so we have words of wisdom at eight o'clock each morning. We look at a different psalm and we were talking exactly about your intake, your mm. diet. You know, often that like in the Caribbean, I know that you know when you hear the old like the old tales, you can't just eat from people. Mm. And I hear that because I don't just eat from anywhere. Like my stomach can't manage that anyway. However, I think there's a, a bigger point being made here about be careful what you take in from outside influences, you know. And I, I yeah, I digress. But shout out to shout out to these young kings and queens pushing forward and good yeah, luck with your studies. And on a note of kind of performance in universities, I read an article which spoke about the development of a free all black university in the UK. What are your thoughts on if they were to roll that out? I would support it. Mm. I feel like that. It sounds so good that it it needs to happen. Mm. There are so many people who would benefit from from a scheme like that who may not have the the means to go to university or even the inspiration or the encouragement. And so, yeah. I'm excited. I champion it so hard and really hope that it's an, an initiative and a plan that's here to stay. Yeah. You know, a friend and I had a conversation and they, I think they, they, they were on the fence because they wondered in the UK, do we need this? As the UK isn't a direct comparison to the US. And I can understand that. And if you surround yourself with the same people, do you then get that experience of interacting with different types of people and so on that you'd get from a standard university? And is there then a negative impact from being around a similar type of person? And my thought is, is that as, as black people, we're not really monolithic like that. So we have that diversity amongst us anyway. So I think you could still have that very varied experience. But also, isn't that the white person's experience every day? Yeah, I was going to say, it is, I mean, I'm assuming something like this would be in London, possibly. Mm. Imagine if it was like... Logistically, it would maybe make more sense to be somewhere mm-hmm. where there was a, d- a denser population. And anywhere it would be in the UK, there's, there is diversity. There is, there is the majority of the population that, that isn't black and, and um, ethnic minority. So even by seeking out these communities and these these spaces, there there is still a richness of of culture and meeting of different people just through existing in this mm-hmm. in this country. Mm. Yeah, I think government, we're here for it. <laughs> <laughs> G and I are voting, we're here for it. I'm excited to see you. I'm going to keep my eye close on this one because it's so mm-hmm. easy. There's so much information and things happening all of the time that you're kind of mesmerized by one thing. And then within a couple of months, you've kind of forgotten that, that that conversation had even. Yeah, things do disappear from the public consciousness very quickly mm. at this time. So it's important to put our energy and behind these these projects. And Yeah, do you know what? I'm going to commit to checking in on the progress of it and coming and speaking about it on the mm. podcast. Because if this is something that comes into fruition, guys, you know I'm going to be promoting this actively on here. You know, check it out. So stay tuned for some updates. Re the free black university that there's been kind of recent discussions around. So, Gigi, Meg, Meg, we're gonna talk about. We're just gonna share with the community a 
what I think is one of the most beautiful love stories in history between two individuals that met a very, very young age and in the early 30s, still hanging in there. I think we're still pretty going, going strong as friends. Yeah, and stronger, stronger yeah. by the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stronger by the day. Do you know, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday and I was just, I guess, reflecting out loud about the different stages that I can identify in our friendship journey. And I feel like this is probably the most valuable and most meaningful segment of the friendship to me because I think my headspace is in a different, more conscious. I'm more conscious, I'm more appreciative. You see, I've seen friendships come and go, friendships kind of even blossom. And you see, you've got like a one consistent person that you know has been there from the get-go, you know. From day. And yeah, it's a really beautiful story because there is that family tie as mm. well. So our parents knew each other before we were mm. we were born. And so that in itself created a almost cousin, sibling mm. sort of connection. And then we grew up a few streets away from each other in Catford mm. and went to the same primary school, went to the same secondary school, went to the same college. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever get told about how our parents got introduced? No. All right, let me tell you the story. So, so my family from Southwest London. So my dad grew up, he grew, he was raised in charity, then moved to, I think, like, Battersea or something like that. My mum's from Tooting. And so my uncle moved to Catford. He bought a property in Catford. And he was saying it's such an... He, bought, he actually bought a, a place on Mum's Road. And it was right at the bottom. So my mum came and bought property that was available on that same road, like, it's quite nice for I suppose a young family and my uncle had a friend which was your dad Mm. and my uncle was like oh well my sister's just moved down here she doesn't really know anyone and then your dad was saying well my missus has just had a baby and my mom was my uncle was like well my sister's just had a baby and the two babies were you and I five days apart (laughs) (laughs) so like what's your earliest memory of me it's definitely primary school Mm. So primary school is a funny place because we weren't in the same class Mm -hmm. and that does make a big difference in primary school. I remember you there. You were just part of the school. You were there from the beginning right up until the end. And there were a handful of people who came through that same journey with us and, Mm. and you're one of them. So it was just like this presence, although we didn't talk very much Mm. or hang out or... It's interesting you should say that because I've been thinking about, can I remember the first conversation that we had? And like for the life of me, I can't remember, but I think you just explained it so perfectly, that presence. Mm. I, For all of my conscious life, I've always known you. You've always existed in close proximity. And like you said, with that family tie, it's kind of like that cousin that's about. And I remember your dad coming to the playground sometimes and I remember my mum saying one time I went eight ship crazy just so excited <laughs> to see your dad and I think even even that even when I used to come by the house as a teenager there was always that always that familiarity with mm-hmm. your parents being so welcoming mm-hmm. like if I was your parents I'd have been like you're not coming in my house <laughs> you can get the fuck out of here with your weed smoking hip-hop listening, <laughs> listening. <laughs> hip-hop listening ass get the hell out of here <laughs> Yeah, we were really lucky for our parents creating that space for us. Yeah. Where we could just be indoors and not on road. Mm-hmm. Mum mentioned, mum spoke about this on, I believe, episode one. Because I asked her, like, how come you used to allow people in the house? You know, that's not always very common for ethnic minority teenagers or children. Like, your friends can be your friends out the road, but they're not necessarily coming in the house kind of thing. And mum was just like, she would prefer for us to have been inside and holding a vibe than to be outside. And she just not knowing where we're at and what we're doing and potentially being exposed to risk, mm-hmm. you know, because I wouldn't say I'm from the streets, but I'm from the ends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for real. Definitely. So thinking about something that's been pro, really profound for me, just with hindsight, is that growing up, I came out quite early, but at the time, I don't think I even knew the seriousness of what I was saying. I knew what I was saying was true, but I didn't really know that it could go left. 
in that respect. So when I came out, I just brought my girlfriend to my mum's house. I was like, mum, this is what it is now. And that was it. Mm-hmm. And the reaction from my family were like, my parents didn't care at all. My family were quite inquisitive. Like my cousins would ask me questions like, what kind of girls do you like? So where do you find girls? All kinds of stuff. And I think part of me being so comfortable to do that is having our friendship. Yeah, definitely. I remember you coming out in secondary school. Yeah. And being really open about it. And by these times, I I knew internally that I was attracted to, to women and... It felt like a huge secret. Mm. And when I saw you just in your truth like that at such a young age, it really did empower me, but I still kept it to myself for a good few years until I was about 16. And you were the first person that I did come out to. Mm. And even that was so hard, even knowing that you were queer as well. And, mm-hmm. and that, yeah, like, just remembering how hard that was to come out to somebody that I've known for so long, who is also queer, mm. who was my age, just remembering that process. Yeah, I just have big respect for people who, who don't have that and, and still manage to still manage to like own their truth. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it takes some kind of courage and and just self and not even self-belief, but belief that life, that there is more. Believing that there's more than what the world has told you or perhaps your environment's told you. And you being really relentless in, you know, I'm just going to be who I want to be. You know, so I've, I really take my hats off to people that don't necessarily have that support. And in you uh, mentioning that you were 16 when you decided to just, just begin having conversations and expressing your preferences, it literally was like a year apart. Mm. But... At that time, it felt, you know, I thought it was longer than that. But I think that it's probably because you finish school, then you go to college and there's so many things happening that, yeah, in between that time, it just feels like time flies. But I thought it was longer, maybe like two, I'd have said like two years. Mm. But I'm glad because I think it formed this kind of, it deepened the unity for me. Mm -hmm. Because you got it now. Mm -hmm. You understand. And the thing is, guys, let me tell you about G-Swag. Listen... (laughs) G has been doing up <laughs> swag from early. And it's like just this unique way of putting clothes together. And they just looked different from how everybody else dropped their clothes. And I couldn't understand how to replicate it. I used to look and think, how is G doing this? How did, how, <laughs> how did the clothes drop like this? And it, as well, like if you see us together, we got different frames. And I'm like, why don't mine look like that? Because <laughs> I'm short. <laughs> And I think, yeah, and I say all of that, but it just, it created this environment of unity and learning and exploring together. Do you remember the first time we decided that we were going to go to a black queer event? I was just about to talk about that. Yes? Yeah, it was bootalicious. Mm. <laughs> and we were like 17 mm. with our fake IDs. <laughs> Did you have that in your car? I think it was an NUS card, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it was my sister's driver's license. So my sister, we looked alike, and she was at uni, so mm. I was using her provisional. And yeah, we just we just rocked up. We rocked up to this like predominantly black queer club, and we were already we were already queer. We had been out for a year. Mm. We had been living this life, finding our unique style. And I remember when we turned, when I turned up there, just thinking people dress a bit like me, mm. but without having been influenced by that. Right, 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 right. Almost like you found, almost like you you started to find people that are more like you, but you recognize that this is your authentic you. Mm. I came to that myself, mm-hmm. and it is different. It is different. Just. We were blazing out rock tunes. You know, we were we were kind of alternative. We were going to like rock gigs, moshing. Yeah. Do you remember well when we as... went to do you remember the one in um the crypt? Yeah. We went to this crazy <laughs> thing in like a crypt, which is like the basement of a church for anyone that doesn't know. And it was just like, what was your brother's band called? But Growl of the Badger. Growling at the Badger. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember your your brother performing there and I felt so exclusive at this point because I know the guy in the band. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, my brother is so cool. Mm. He was so cool then as well. Thinking about like your siblings and the way that I've grown up, it's all very alternative. Mm. I don't think, because it's interesting you say that when you walked, you first stepped into, into Booty and you recognised that like some of these people look dressed similar to me. Mm. When I first walked in, I was thinking, I do not fit in here. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I swear, I was thinking to myself, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, <laughs> because, like, the, the thing is, like, it's always been like a weird space for me because I've grown up around outside of the black community massively just because I was into so many different clubs. Those clubs, performing arts, dance, football, track, ice skating. All of those things take you well out of your community into very affluent communities at times. And so I was just, there was a part of me, like I knew I liked the music. Mm. The music slapped, the sound system slapped. The energy in the room was so intense. And I was like, I felt lost. And do you remember I used to throw up before mm-hmm. we used to go out and like, I realized I was so anxious, mm-hmm. so anxious. And I think I wasn't ready for the, Especially the mask energy in there. Masculine energy, yeah. I wasn't prepared for that. Yeah, because it was like, for the first time being confronted with a very toxic interpretation of masculinity Mm. through a lot of people's expression, almost as though they thought that that was what you needed to be like in order to be queer. And that hadn't been my experience up Mm. until that point. And so this time I was like, I was a vegan I was desperately trying to get laid. Mm. I couldn't because I was too nice. Be like, come to my house. I'll cook you <laughs> vegan food. We can talk. Listen to Tori Amos. Ah, oh, Tori Amos. <laughs> <laughs> and they would just be like, no. So it was really hard. I felt like almost like that teenage, like American Pie teenage guy mm. that wants to have sex for the first time, wants to like, right. you know, like confirm that part of, of my identity, uh. was horny as well and all of these, all of these things, but just couldn't. And that was so frustrating because it, on the other hand, I was getting a lot of attention right. for my looks. Yeah. But then my being just wasn't aligned with what people were, were after there. And because I was quite masculine presenting, that was confusing them because I'm quite gender fluid at the same time and quite soft. So yeah, it was, it was quite hard in that sense of feeling like I didn't belong, but at the same time feeling like I had found an aspect of my being kind of manifested in Mm. a community. Do you know, I'm thinking about like, just thinking about looking back like I would never have I didn't see you like that like you had the looks you had the charisma she can outball anyone what <laughs> like you had the literally you could demolish anyone on the b-ball court and we were fly we were fly like we had our own dress sense so uh, confident as well listen back then we were getting gal <laughs> <laughs> before I even knew how mm. so and the reason I say it is because I would never have even have imagined that you felt like that at mm. any given point in time. <laughs> but talking on um, the mask energy, confusing girls at that time, like, do you remember when we used to go to college and like girls would just buy us food and they would like write messages on my arm and draw on my hands. And I don't think they, they, they couldn't get, it, they couldn't get their head around it because mm. they fancied us and thought that we were wavy. Mm. But, they weren't necessarily queer themselves. Exactly. But they were attracted to our being yeah. and just the way we were moving and our confidence. And, and that was actually miles ahead of like our peers that were guys as well, mm. the people that they would have been, you know, interacting with. So we, we were coming with something very different, but at the same time bringing that, that energy that they were attracted to. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was, uh, we were quite famous. We were yeah. famous in college. And... <laughs> Do you know what the funny thing is? Even like, if it was round the way, just everywhere, because I know I used to go to so many different places because of all of the things that I did. And then I worked in Lucia Matalan. That was bait. I remember. Yeah, it was bait. So everybody <laughs> knew that I worked in there. Everybody knew Megan, Megan G. Megan G. You couldn't find me without, I've just left G. 
I'm going to G's now or I'm going later. Mm -hmm. That was literally <laughs> the setup. And then it was interesting because it started to blossom because we then had like, we evolved into a foursome mm -hmm. with Jay and Mikey. Mm -hmm. And those are two cisgendered black men. And it brought a whole different dynamic to that two our two way, but I loved it. Yeah. I found their presence so grounding. Yeah, and they were very protective as well. Mm. So there was that safety where we, we could just be fully. That is true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could just be and we would bring them to the clubs mm -hmm. and they would come. They were so loyal for that. They were the best. Can you imagine, like, really think about it. These are like 17, 18 year old black males. Mikey came to the UK from South Africa when he was about 18, 19. Mm. And Jay grew up in Brixton. Right. And if you think about it in terms of friendship and how sometimes it can work, if everybody's on the same page, there can be friendships across genders, across preferences. It can work, but I think it just has to have a certain environment. And there was some, it's interesting you said, you know, about them being protective and we felt secure, mm. which allowed us to flex mm -hmm. even more at this point. Mm -hmm. And it allowed us access to a world that we wouldn't have had, I don't feel which was mm -hmm. the cis straight black community that was local to us so there were there were house parties happening every weekend and, mm. and we would go to them and we would turn up <laughs> entirely in our truth yeah we would talk to who we wanted to dance with who we wanted to and speak about what we wanted to and and we were just fully accepted by these communities because of how we were rolling. Mm. And that was such a solid foundation to step out into the world because growing up, I just thought that was the world. Mm. I really did. I just felt like that was how it was. And there was no space that was inaccessible to me. Mm -hmm. And there was nobody who was inaccessible to me. Mm -hmm. and, and that there was nothing wrong with me at all. I hear that. That resonates with me so, so deep, so deeply, because those core experiences and acceptance from, for me, family, your family, um, our friends, in essence, our community as well. And that's those are kind of extended communities outside of maybe where we live. Like we didn't go to school, or go to college anywhere, particularly close to our house. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So we had friends all over the southeast. Woolwich, mm -hmm. Dagnum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those core things really helped me to step out with confidence because I don't think there's anything that anyone could have told me when I got to about 18 where I would have even have cared. Mm -hmm. Like, and I speak from a pl place of privilege here where I've not mm -hmm. openly been discriminated against. Maybe people have said things behind my back or that I didn't know what their intentions were in that moment, but they've never overtly said anything to my face. You know, the, the weird stares. Mm -hmm. You get that. Mm -hmm. but the double I, looks. Double yeah. Looks. The looking at your face, chest, face, chest. Yeah. Confused because... And you know I've got body as well. Yeah. So they're like, oh, oh, that man got hips. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, and for me at that time, I, I was passing as a guy a lot of the time as well mm. because I was on a different journey somewhat where I was identifying more masculine and going through going through a yeah I was I was passing and living as a guy from the age of I would say like 18 to like even 23 24 and I would bind down my chest and was very seriously considering transitioning so a lot of the time I would, I would pass as a guy. And that brought another element to it as well. Do you know what? I'm sitting here like timelining this as to where I, what I was doing in life at this point, like studying da, 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 and what I was aware of. And I, I think I would have soon left, that would have been break during my uni time, uni get going into my career. And that made sense because I didn't really see you mm -hmm. that amount around that time. And, I didn't even know about, you said about transitioning. Mm. I didn't even know that was a thing. Mm. I didn't even know that anyone transitioned into anything else other than a man and a woman at this point. And to be fair, I didn't know you could transition. Mm. I thought that 
probably the furthest transition you could get would be what you might see with like RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm. So like drag was my, was only what I knew. So it's quite interesting that you were super aware mm. and advanced about some of these, some of the options, I yeah. guess, the options available to, to us. Yeah, I remember at the age of 22, deciding I was gender queer, gender fluid. And that was way before I even knew it was a thing. So yeah, that was quite an interesting journey. I think a big part of that growing up, my two brothers are very close in age to me. One is 18 months younger, one is two years older. And I was quite alpha as well. And so there wasn't gender in my household either. Mm. So it was a very gender neutral and fluid household with a lot of queerness and experimentation. And so we all shared clothes because that's just what you do when you have siblings that are your size and they just happened to be guys. So we were, I was wearing guy clothes from young and boxers. And then, and then I, I, uh, I did construction mm. at college and I was the only female bodied person in the class. And from there I worked in construction where people expect to see a guy turn up. And mm. a lot of the time expectation is, is what people go with. So if they're expecting it and you turn up and you, fit it a bit they just assume that you are mm, mm-hmm. and so yeah and then from then I went into heating and gas again where I was the only female bodied person often in a route you know in in a team of like a hundred even and again people would just assume that I was a very young guy whose voice hadn't broken <laughs> and I would pass like this because it was easier than to correct people and it gave me a real insight into how the world is very different to men, for men. Mm-hmm. And I, I really, I connected with men from that place and really felt the fatherly, father-son vibe. When mm. you're a young guy and you're starting out in the industry, you get a lot of help from the older men. And, and so I really appreciated that. And, and yeah, and then my partners were very feminine and very much into masculine people and so they would encourage that dynamic and bring it out a lot more and there was very little space to explore other parts of me and so I was going like this for quite a while and I remember just one day I was probably about 23 now where somebody at work mistook me for a guy and I remember just correcting them and that was the first time that I had done that Mm. and I don't know what had happened but something just clicked in me and I was, I just decided in that moment, I didn't, I didn't want to transition. And I, I enjoyed being fluid mm. and wanted to actually explore the feminine aspect more. And in the following years, I, I did massively, massively did. Yeah. Do you know what? That's even just trailing back a bit into what you were saying with your siblings clothing, because I, I was then thinking about, how did I used to dress when I was younger? And I was very much dressed by my mum. And I'm an only child. So my mum was buying girl clothes. And I come from a very big family of women mm. and girls. So I used to get a lot of hand-me-downs. I have three cousins that are about, i say, two years up to about six years in age difference between me. So I got all of their clothes. And I'm thinking, that makes a lot of sense. Because mm. what I used to wear more time if I had the choice was I'll put my pee kit on mm. and I didn't understand why I liked my pee kit I had no idea but I just knew that the tracksuit bottoms the t-shirt the trainers the, the Reebok classic it was right <laughs> yeah, <Reebok laughs> listen it was it felt righteous you know mm. but I didn't have the language to articulate to say that this is what I like and this is how I like my clothes to fix I just I was so clueless about clothing mm-hmm. and Thinking about it, I was the more feminine one out of you and I. Mm -hmm. Up until, say, maybe 17, when I got to around college time, and I started to transition to become more more tomboyish, Mm. I would say. And I had, like, because at this time, when I went to Christ the King, and shout out to Shireen, (laughs) Leah, Kareen, all of the Torridon, Carla, what? Yes. Because I was chilling with them at college before I came to the college that you were at. Mm. And they're cisgendered black girls at the time. 
but it was crazy because like the college that I went to, it was like tracksuit culture. Girls in baggy jeans, Puma t-shirts, Converse's, matching the matching t-shirt with the matching verses. So I started to follow that trend. And I was thinking, hey, this looks all right. Mm. It started to, act, and now when I look at that journey from 17 through to 30, that's when I became, I became more open and comfortable with the idea of expressing my femininity. Mm-hmm. You mentioned about toxic masculinity mm-hmm. in the quote unquote scene. And I think I embraced it and took it on and believed in that mm-hmm. for some time until I realised that I felt so uncomfortable and I felt like I just didn't know myself. I became like a character mm-hmm. of the scene. So like, I remember there was a period of time, I don't know if you remember, white t-shirt and baggy jeans. It was like literally the tuggy ones, that was the uniform. (laughs) So I got the uniform, but I didn't realize that I felt stifled because there was a part of me that I couldn't show weakness. Mm. I couldn't show that I was interested in guys maybe 20% out of 100. Mm. I, I couldn't wear skinny jeans and stuff. Like we weren't really doing that. And again, it was just like, I was experiencing something I never even experienced when I was 15, that I'm actually suppressing a part of myself when all this time we've been living in truth. Mm. And I had to, I think that was one of the fundamental reasons I had to take a big step, basically leave Mm. the whole black queer scene for what it was. Because like I said, I I never felt like I fitted in. I used to have mad anxiety with throwing up, getting in there, drawing down the most girls. Within about two weeks of knowing them, this is so-and-so's partner doing so. And I was just Mm. like, this is too much. It's too much for me. Like my anxiety can't deal with all this. A lot of anxiety. I remember those yeah. times and everybody knew everybody. Right, right. Everybody was connected and somebody's ex was always unhappy. And you know what I find that when I left that, my dress style changed back to, it wasn't what it was before, but it was still unique to me. Mm. I still wear my, my weird shit, you know, mm. and feel happy with that and really rock that. And having a wardrobe, I, I started to understand I needed to have like, a dual wardrobe, some feminine stuff, some masculine stuff. Because if I wore a femme outfit on a mask feeling day, my whole setup is messed up. Mm. And if I'm in a more feminine energy and I'm heavily masked up, I'm still feeling off. So it's just, I've had to learn to create that variety with my own life, with mm. my own wardrobe to accommodate how I might feel on that day. And also with, you know, the women that I date, there has to be space for that fluidity. Because if it's you're really into someone that's 100 million percent masked all the time, I'm not that. Mm. I'm not that. And I think it puts a lot of strain on a relationship where I can't have my, my feminine moments. Or if I wake up and just want to be treated in that way and receive love in that way, mm. there's not always that space. And I think that that's a big learning I've learned mm-hmm. from all of that. So thinking about life now and community, G has got some of the most incredible travel stories. And I mean, where are some of the places that you've traveled to? Wow. Okay. So usually I don't share very much like this. Mm-hmm. It feels quite personal. Mm-hmm. But I have traveled quite extensively and lived many, many different lives. And I've lived in, lived in places. I've worked in places. I feel like it was the, the bohemian spiritual creative flex that I got into in my early 20s where I I got a camper van Mm. and I started making jewelry selling it on markets and painting and playing guitar and and I just I just was like yeah this is this is where I want to go you know like backpacking around camping nature and that that really opened up space for the fluidity for me because the bohemian dress sense is quite neutral. Mm, mm-hmm. At the same time, it's it fits with me. Mm-hmm. So it's like I found a, a style that really worked with me and that, and that continues to. And then a lot of the time I just wouldn't wear clothes because w- it would be hot. And that would be really liberating because there's no like style. There's, there's nothing. It's just stripped. You are the style. That was it. I you was are... the start. And then I got creature. I got real creature, you know, like, mm. you know, living in trees and cooking on fires and, and yeah. Side note, what kind of stuff did you cook <laughs> on the fire? Like, what? Well, so, okay, lentils, mm-hmm. planting, 
Yeah, oh, come on. Yeah, rose planting. <laughs> <laughs> anything, anything mm. really. You could do a mean roast corn. There's nothing you can't cook, really. That's very true. Because I was thinking about food that you put, like, a stick through, and then mm. you kind of kebab it, but then I forget, obviously, you can have, like, pots and pans. Yeah, pots and, you can, and pans. Yeah. You can dig an underground oven. How does that work? Okay, so you make a hole, mm -hmm. and then what I would do, I put stones at the bottom, mm. and then you have the fire, so then the stones... The stones get hot. Yeah, yeah. So they're kind of like the coal on a yeah, barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Mm, mm. And then you you wrap the food up. That's sick. And then yeah. That again, like comes back down to very traditional ways of cooking. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I spent a lot of time in Jamaica. My my family, majority of them are from Portland. And over that side of Jamaica is it can be very old school, very very old school. For all the eco tourists, check out Portland. That is the spot for you if you're into sustainable tourism. Anyway, but yeah, when bucket I, list. Bucket list yeah. is fantastic. We should listen. We should do it. Yeah, we I'm, should do it. I definitely want to travel with you because I'm. <laughs> we'll pick this conversation okay. up because <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm good to go. Like I'm legit good to go. I'm ready for them to open the borders. I'm out of here. Yeah, it just goes back to this like. This conversation, for me, there's certain things that come back around 360, right? And even this cooking, cooking in, you know, like, like you said, building fires. This is what our ancestors would have been doing that. Mm. You know, there's no George Foreman. <laughs> there's no juice <laughs> and these things. So on this, on your, I quit like a quest. Is that you're on this? Yeah, um, totally. It was like this quest. So how did that change or evolve your perception of community? and how you started to form community? It's a good question. So I think when you're living like this, when you're living in nature, and also when you just rock up to a country and decide that you're just gonna stay there, you're really dependent on other people. You know, when you just go with a backpack and after a few months you have a whole life there, mm. it's all because of the connections you make. Right, right, and which, in which kind of ways did you find it like, you're more dependent because someone like me, I've only ever lived in London. Mm. I've travelled about, spent good amount of times in different places, but never really, like you said, had that backpack. And I'm now dependent upon these people. Mm -hmm. So like, what does that, <laughs> what does that kind of reliance in that relationship look like? It's humbling, mm. firstly, and yeah, I suppose it. I suppose it. It it cuts through a lot of ego. Mm. And talk on that. Talk on that. Yeah. So. Yeah, as someone who's always been very self-sufficient, it it took me back. It took me back to a place where I was receiving, receiving, mm. and you know, and being very, very grateful for that and giving what I could. So I would give massages in return, and you know, do yoga in return, and, mm. and these kinds of things. So it, it took money out of it, and it just came onto exchanges, energy exchanges, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that just spark something in me like this is how we this is how we should be living this is this is this is what we should be doing and like with it like I'm big on reciprocity in life this is exchange just this exchange and I'm the one exchange that I've never felt completely comfortable is the exchange of money for things and in many communities that I grew up in it was this exchange for so for example Someone might pick someone else's child up from school on a Tuesday, but then they would take, that person would take that other person's child to football on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. Or this person might be going to, say, Blue Water to go and do big shopping, and they'll bring that person with them. Or one person's got a macro card, and the whole team's coming to buy from each <laughs> So, like, yeah. I'm really big on this kind of balance of give and take. So it's, mm -hmm. I find it... some. In, in the times that we're in now, I find that that exchange is there, but it's different. But I think it's slightly distorted and tainted. But what you're talking about is a very spiritual, deep sense of human to human sharing mm -hmm. and experience. So if you think about how you perceived friendship and friendship groups, community, when you were, say, 16, mm. how does that differ to how you see it now? In some ways, I've almost come back to some of the essence of my younger ways of connecting to community. Mm. I do feel like the more experiences I was having, the more quest, you know, on this quest that I was on, mm -hmm. the more I was making assumptions on the world, on people based on those experiences, and mm. based on 
who I believe are my kind of people and and I feel like when I was 16 I was really open to everyone I would meet someone and and just be like oh I like dogs too let's walk our dogs or I play basketball too. Let's play basketball. Or I'm having a house party. Wait, wait, wait. Do you know why I'm laughing about the dog walking? <laughs> I'm not even going to say nothing more. But you know. I know. I know. Yeah, so, so little yeah. private joke people. Yeah, memories. Mm. Yeah. But, but know... yeah, it was quite simple like that. Mm. I'd just meet someone and be like, come, come to my house, come to my party. That was how I met Jay, mm. you know, and Mikey. And it was like, I was really open, whereas I feel like I had to go through a bit of a process of finding myself. And now I feel like I've almost come back to a place where I, I'm i more open again to to realize like, yeah, I, I'm queer. Yeah, I'm a person of color. Yeah, I have a spiritual practice and I have certain ethical beliefs. But at the same time, you really don't know what mm. people are saying. Mm-hmm somebody who seems normal or who seems like they're not your kind of person or who seems like they might not be in your community actually really could be like mm. fundamentally when everything's stripped back. Yeah, the facts. You know, thinking about diversity when we, that growing up and I remember being about seven or eight and having a couple of friends, they were brother and sister and they, they come from you might have to correct me on terminology to make sure I get this right here, but I think it was a polyamorous family. So their mum was in a same-sex relationship with a woman who was with, that woman was with a guy and had had a baby with a guy, but equally the original mum had a guy partner as well. And they all lived together. Mm. And I was at their house. Wow. And I remember one of my mum's bosses being um, a queer woman. And I... I tell you, she really took me under her wing and I really connected with her and I never understood why. My mum had another friend, Mary, shout out to Mary Evans, you know. She she had some serious swag and she was mass presenting and she had a daughter that was a couple years older than me. So thinking about that diversity and how we grew up and how we received people. And I think that I had to learn to maybe develop discernment. Mm-hmm. And that not everybody's not everybody's got the best intentions for you, and because our intentions are so open, that like we go into things very very open with the best, mm-hmm. wanting to get the best out of it for ourselves and for everyone else to equally have the same experience and their space for everyone. But I had to learn the hard way actually, and getting burnt a few times through friendships to realize that okay, not everyone's got good intentions. But then I shut down and closed up. But then I had to. I think through my career and some of the amazing places and people that I've met through developing my own interests, my adult interests and hobbies, I started to meet people that looked like they looked a hundred million different ways. They spoke and sounded a hundred million different ways. But what I learned was this energy. You know, when you connect with someone. Vibe don't lie. The vibe don't lie. You know, and I've learned to trust if my energy doesn't, if it doesn't sit well with my energy, I'm just going to respect my spirit and say, do you know what? It's not that that person's a bad person, but that's probably not the person for me Mm. and where I'm at right now. Yeah, snap. Mm. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. So like, if we think about the reality for some people who they may not have family and family by isn't, I'm not defining that by the typical nuclear family as we've been taught it, but more so from the sense of the families that we design around us, the community, the connections, the friendships, all of that. For people that maybe don't have that in their life, what practical things could do you feel that you could share with them to help them start to form the that energy hub of people and love around them? Okay, yeah, this is a good question. So I would I would say to somebody in that situation to really feel into themselves mm. and you can even make a list but just come to some points of yourself of your being of your day-to-day life of your weekly life of your monthly life that you like things that bring you joy it could be simple it could be like if you like movies then you can maybe connect to people who like those movies right 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 similar like a movie club like a book club a book club um, yeah, yeah book clubs mm. Gardening is a great one, mm. connecting to the land like this. Any kind of new sport. So even if you you may not even have 
something already, then maybe taking up taking up a hobby mm. that you've maybe thought about. Yoga is a good one. Going out of your comfort zone a little bit. Mm. I think there's, there's something to be said about trying new things. Like yeah. I had like all, between the ages of 24 and 27, I lived by a rule of I had to experience something new every 14 days. And I lived by that. And it takes you into some really unusual spaces. Um, and for some things, you know, it, you can quite categorically define that you don't like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're probably not mm-hmm. going to do that again. But I think stumbling upon things that you don't like, things that make you feel uncomfortable, things that may not in- naturally feel particularly pleasant, understanding that there's the learning and the cultivating of your community through, okay, I feel more comfortable over here. Mm-hmm. I feel more comfortable doing these things. So are there any kind of hobbies um, that you feel that you've picked up over time that you've just run with and and now a staple of your life? Yeah. Music. Mm. Yeah. I hear. Do you remember (laughs) remember the days of like rapping in your bedroom to DMX beats and to beats that Jay would make on Fruity Fruity Loops Loops, software? Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Music has been a big thing. Yeah. Music has been key. Um... Do you know what I poetry mm. as well poetry actually it's interesting because I was just thinking when I started pushing myself out of my comfort zone mm. and I'm quite a homely person really by nature and it was through travel so you turn up somewhere new mm. especially if it's a city another city or anywhere and you're just like okay I don't know anybody what do I do and that really forced me I went on meetup Meetup.com. Mm-hmm. Yes, Meetup is fantastic for that. Yeah, and I found, um, you know, like a, a poetry sharing group. Mm. And I was like, whoa, I've never shared my poetry. I just rocked up to this place with these people I didn't know. And yeah, I, I think I was the only person of colour there. Um, there was maybe another queer person. But the thing why I went there was the poetry. Mm. And, and there were other things like this, you know, like that just forced me out. Right. Do you know what, for anyone that doesn't know what Meetup is, so Meetup is an online uh, online digital platform which hosts across the world different types of activities, events, and social gatherings that are either free, they've got a massive free catalogue, or they're quite cheap. I'd say maybe maximum like £10. And a lot are, again, at a lower cost, so it's really accessible. So. I started to go on, I found out about Meetup through my life and career coach that I was working with at the time. And I wanted to, I was at a stage where I felt really stagnant. Like I'm working, I'm around some stale, starchy people that are just not good vibes. They're not feeding my spirit. They're, my creativity is not being used. And he introduced me to Meetup and said, maybe just have a look. And so we started to set goals. So like I used to see him every couple of weeks and I would agree that I'd at least attend within that time two meetups. So I went to a Brazilian samba dancing thing. I can't samba. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I went to like an African drumming thing. I realised I loved drumming. I went to like a kind of like a pub social thing and I realised I don't really like the pub like that. That's not really my energy. I was supposed to go to a tennis one that but I got shook. I got. I probably got. Sh- <laughs> I'm not good at tennis, and I was like, I don't want to embarrass myself. And then some poetry stuff. I've been to some park events, so it's just to show that there's so many. There's a lot of variety on this platform. So definitely check it out to see um, as as a step to the really creating your personal community. Oh, I just thought of one. Mm-hmm. Black girls hype. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is a. It's a like a collective that started in Manchester that encourages women, black women and women from African descent to hike together, basically, mm-hmm. in nature. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to one of these. It, it was epic. Was this, I think you invited me to um, a hike in a new forest. Um, I think it was Epping, Epping Forest. Epping Forest, yeah, 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 yeah. And I can't remember, I was meant to, I was like out of town. And by the time I would have gone to come back, it was all going to be a madness. And I'd never heard of like, a collective of black women being in nature like that, just for socials. Never heard of it before. And I remember being so disappointed that I couldn't make it because I'm a big outdoors person. Like I love being in my house, but 
if I have to trade the comfort of my house, it's the great outdoors and not kind of city life. This is more being by open waters, being in Forest. forestries, being in the meadows, Mountain. all of that stuff. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. I feel that. So I'm just trying to think if there are any more tips that we could give people in how to really begin to find community. Mm. Do you know what? This is a really small suggestion that can make a big difference. When you're traveling to, I know with lockdown, things are slightly different now, but if you're traveling to and from places, actually not make, not necessarily having your headphones in. Mm. Because I find that I engage and interact with the world very differently when I've got my music in or a podcast in. I'm not really present mm. in that. So like when I've been in a, in a grocery store and I've forgotten my headphones, I end up talking to people. And in that way, finding out what's happening locally. There's been a couple of times when I'm like, oh, do you know what? Take my Instagram, let's mm. talk. You know, even when you go into food shops. Like, so the last pers- last time that happened to me was, say, Tuesday this week. Shout out to Joy's Vegan Shop, food shop. In, yes. Yeah, back, back, back in Catford. <laughs> the food, if you're into Caribbean food, the food is sweet, sweet. But there's someone at work saying, I was, I was actually asking a conversation about Moringa mm. and the health benefits of that. And then we we're talking about CMOS and I was asking how they process CMOS because there's always different styles and techniques. And so I learned a lot of stuff and one of the, young, one of the women there was like, oh, I'll take my Instagram because I've just posted a story last night of me preparing my CMOS so you can, mm. and that was it. Yeah, just talking to people. Mm. Notice boards as well. Right, right, right. In the supermarkets, they have notice boards or in right. the park. They're uh, so easy to miss. Yeah. Mm. There was another one. Zoom right now, these times. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're, we're in lockdown. That's hard. Yeah. You know, that can feel isolating. Mm. Um, but there are there are a lot of offerings out there and there's a lot of free stuff and some of it might not even be good mm. but it's a group of people together so yeah. one of the things I was involved with in the last lockdown was a meditation group called Radical Dharma mm-hmm. which is uh, it's a Buddhist group for people of colour queer, queer and people of colour mm. but POC centred and we would gather, we would share heart sharings and we would hold space for each other during those sharings. And then we would meditate together. And each turn, each, each time we would take it in turn, turns to facilitate and to hold the space. And that would also force us to step up a bit. If we, if we mm. wanted to do that, mm. you, could, you, you didn't have to. But that was amazing, actually. I, a lot of gratitude to that group. And yeah, so Radical Dharma London. Mm-hmm. Talking about online, actually, Instagram is doing a lot. It has been doing a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot during um, during lockdown. I mean, shout out to the personal trainers who have been providing exercise classes mm-hmm. kind of on a day-to-day basis. A so shout out Tone and Definition, Dotty Fitness, Was London, Was My Heart Goes Out to You, my brother. I'm so delighted and proud of what you've achieved. Like, I'm telling you, you got my but you got my body toned up on my head in shape during <laughs> some during lockdown one, which wasn't easy, mm-hmm. that transition. Um so Instagram, there's a lot of stuff happening on happening on lives, um, great conversations. So as I spoke about words of wisdom at eight o'clock with Rochelle Raquel Strong, even that is community, because they Raquel has Clubhouse on loud, and there's a whole discussion connected to Instagram Live. And I don't have Clubhouse because I've got Android. So I'm there in the comments or you can request to join the live. And we're having these wholesome conversations and just being so gassed and excited over life. And for us, the word, you know. So also, I just direct people to Insta and be curious about who you follow. Mm. So things that you actually like, because I'm into a lot of black economics, black veganism, fitness, all kinds of stuff. So just really kind of expand that. For people that are into animation and graphics, it is crazy on Instagram what you can find. Um, And there's pockets of community all over. But gee, we're running out of time. We're approaching the end. How you feeling, ma'am? I feel like we could carry on all night. Telling you, I could record for hours. Guys, let me ask you something. I want you to let me know. On On Instagram, in the comments, let me know. Should I bring G back? Let me know if I should bring G back because I've got a feeling that you guys are going to love this conversation and 
I think we could cover so many topics. It's endless. Mm. It feels like we've just touched the surface of just like the depths of our our sharing. Mm. I'm, yeah, we should meditate on that. Yeah, we should meditate on that. And also to kind of, I put a pin in something that you said earlier, and I knew I was gonna come back to it. Like you said, you'd love to travel. We'd love to travel together and stuff. And do you know what? Let's make that happen. However that needs to happen, whatever we need to do, let's do that. Do you know what? We could possibly make a vlog. Oh. We could make a vlog. Oh, yeah. We could make a I think it would be good. So good. Food, views, community, experiences, yeah. reflections, Shares, music. Offerings. Everything. Every, woo, hey. Yeah. Spud me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think we've, I think we've um, stumbled upon another, another potential idea, but... Mm. Gee, tell the people how to find you. Okay, so at the moment I'm I'm just on Facebook. G E E Francois F R A N C O I S. One more time for the people in the back. G E E Francois F R A N C O I S. Same name on Insta. Not very active there. Mm. But yeah, you can find some of my offerings and sharings there on Facebook. And this is where I will be sharing my future, my future offerings. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a it's a big year for me at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot that I want to be offering in terms of courses, workshops, and and retreats when we can get to that mm. retreats on the land. Saying that actually, G and I are going to be working together for the first time because I'm launching a program around employability and empowerment within BAME community. And I'll probably get into it, the details of that on another episode. And G's going to be delivering some of the wellbeing sessions and doing what G does best and just blessing us and everyone in that session. So I'll keep you plugged for when you can tune in and just be a part of that. So yeah, G, thanks for coming through, man. Thanks for seriously. This has been so good. It's been an absolute honor. Guys, but listen, until next time, I'll catch you next week for another episode of Meg Talks. We're out.